morning. Welcome to the Silver Heathen Podcast. I am the Silver Heathen, the number one podcast produced in this household. <laughs> uh, thanks, Lonnie H. again for that intro music, man. I love it. Uh, <clears throat> so mine has been kind of sideways the past couple days, um, partly because my diet's poop, uh, a bunch of Doritos and, and other bad things for me, not really eating dinner. Um, so that doesn't help the energy levels or anything, but the podcast seems to help. And it helps get the mind right. So this morning, I was like, you know what? I uh, I haven't done the My Story um, podcast since, basically, since I began it. And I might have done a couple minor reviews or whatever, but I've, I've gained a lot of followers since then. So I thought maybe it's time to do a brief review. And when I started thinking about it this morning while I was getting ready, it's like I started rehearsing things I wanted to say. And maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe Maybe I should have... Um, wrote things down and I follow along and and so I know exactly what the hell I'm saying and when I'm saying it but or when I'm going to say it uh, that's just not how I've done it I've kind of always been try to keep it as authentic you know walk up to somebody or, or I end up at a meeting and they're like hey tell us a little bit about your story I, I want it to be kind of that genuine thing that rehearsed right so a little bit about the silver heathen or Scott McDonald um, you know a little bit about the story um, my mother was, and as far as I know, still an alcoholic. My dad's a, what could be classified as a heavy drinker. Um, it doesn't, it really hasn't seemed to have negatively affected his life. Uh, my great grandfather was an alcoholic. I ended up learning uh, a few years back and I didn't know that. Uh, my mom's dad, my grandfather, he was an alcoholic. And, um, it seems like if people weren't an alcoholic in my my family, they married somebody who was, right? So <laughs> alcoholism has been pretty prevalent in my life. I didn't really grow up around it, though. Other than my grandfather, he would pick me up on the weekends and he would be drinking his uh, 40s or his 24-ounce uh, cans driving to his house or whatever, and I just thought that was always cool. You know, Grandpa always does these cool things. You know, he's a rebel type thing. And But it never really uh, appealed to me um, like that wasn't like, boy, I can't wait to do that one day. I was always anti-alcohol because I knew alcohol had taken um, my mother from me. And it, I knew that alcohol was bad and it was disgusting and it smelled gross. And it, you know, it just, ew. you know, that's how I grew up. And that's how I maintained my thoughts about alcohol up until I turned 21. Um, as a boy, I, I, if I haven't said already, I was raised by my great-grandparents. Uh, my great-grandmother, um, she ended up raising my mother and then her children. So she raised her children, her children's child, um, and then her child's child's kid. <laughs> so she's uh, she's done more than her fair share of raising children. Um, and she did the best that she, she could. I love her very much. She's 99, currently in a nursing home, uh, attempting rehab, but... I'm not sure she's going to leave that place and go back home. But that's a story for another time. Uh, she did really, uh, she did the best she could, but she's really old school. Um, growing up, I couldn't go outside if it was too hot or too cold. Um, I never made a snowman at home because it was always too cold and you'd get sick if you went outside and played in the snow. Um I was raised where I couldn't go to a friend's house if it was raining out because we might go outside and play in the rain and she didn't want me to get wet. Um, 
I, I almost didn't get to play baseball, which is the sport that I fell in love with. Um, I almost didn't get to pitch, I should say, because she had heard that you can hurt your arm by pitching, and she almost didn't let me. Luckily, I had a female coach at the time who decided she wanted me to pitch. And uh, <laughs> I was laughing at the comment. Uh, my friend Ryan, or Pug, uh, said he'd build a snowman with me. So I appreciate you, buddy. I, I, I have since built a snowman. I build them with my kids, so I've, I've got to experience that, just not as a child. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that was the type of person my grandma was, you know, uh, wrapped in bubble wrap. You know, I was completely oblivious to reality for a very, very long time. Um, I learned most of the things that I know about life through other kids at school. Um, also growing up, you know, I don't remember it. Um, but, uh, I, I do remember seeing a therapist and I do remember, um, an awkward story my mom told one of her many husbands. I think she's been married six times now. Um, but she brought uh, a, another guy over to grandma's and was telling the story and just out of nowhere, she's like, oh yeah, by the way, um, Scotty was molested when he was younger. And so I grew up thinking it was one individual. Um, now talking with my mom later on, she says it was somebody else. So I don't know what to believe. I don't remember any of it, but what I do remember is being in kindergarten, having teenage boy thoughts about the girls in the kindergarten class. I don't really want to dive too deep into that, but it is part of the story. And when something like that happens to you, that is that is a definite form of a traumatic experience, right? And that's why a lot of us drink is to deal with trauma. Um, and then you couple that with the trauma of my mom being in and out of my life um, and my great-grandmother smothering me. Um, the, the cooking was there to, to serve up a good alcoholism. Um, so I grew up, uh, baseball was my outlet. Um, I was pretty good at it. I got, um, by the time I got to high school, I ended up with a full ride to college. I was invited to try out for the White Sox and the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is really cool. I went to the Chicago White Sox tryout. It was me and one other guy were the last two pitching in front of people. And it was pretty sweet. He was a massive human, uh, left-hander. And if you know anything about baseball, it's hard for a righty to compete with a left-hander that's throwing absolute smoke. Um, but I was there and it was an experience. And I got the full ride to college. And uh, so what happened, um, it was a three-day orientation at the college. I had no social experience whatsoever because of the ways that I was raised by my great-grandmother in that bubble wrap situation. I, I had my friends from high school, and that was it. And so I walk into um, to college, and it's just, it was a preppy college. It's Northridge University, if you're from the area here in Michigan. Um it was kind of a preppy college, you know, all, when I pulled into the parking lot in my 19, I think it was a 93 or 91 Dodge Shadow with rust down the side, stick shift, you know, it was a $800 special. And <clears throat> I pull into the parking lot of this college and it's just massive trucks, Mustangs, Corvettes, Camaros, just everywhere. So I park all the way into the back as far as I could. And I scurry up to the front and this dude I've never met knew exactly who I was, called me by my name. And I walk through the gate and there's just a huge preppy group of white kids, preppy group of black kids, preppy group of Asian kids. And they're all in their groups and I fit in nowhere. And I was, my anxiety was through the roof. Long story short, I uh, had moved in with my mom after high school because she was cool, you know, because I could stay up late there. <laughs> That was legitimate one of the reasons. I could play video games and stay up late there, drink pop, and eat ramen noodles. That was I moved out of my grandma's for that. 
And I remember I called my mom at lunch on the second day of orientation. And I was like, man, I, I don't know if I can do this, mom. And her words were, okay, come home. And I was like, what? Seriously? Yeah, come home. And that was the end of the playing baseball career and college, basically, for me. I ended up making an attempt to go back to college. Um, but by then, drinking had taken over, and it was it was not going to happen. Um, so fumbling through life, not really wanting to work, uh, no direction in my life. Baseball was gone. I had no idea, so I was kind of a bum for, from 19, 20. Um, I was dating a girl that I, I very much cared for. She was the first girl that I ever had thoughts of marrying. And I ended up, after I found alcohol, when I turned 21, it was just a month before 21, uh, that, I, that I found alcohol. Um, my, my friends that I lived with, two of them turned 21 in October. Remember, it was in the beginning of November. And I loved alcohol so much. And this girl that I really cared about, she didn't want to drink and didn't like what she saw from me, you know, being slobbery and passing out all the time. Um, I ended up breaking up with her mostly because I wanted to drink and have freedom. I wasn't going to be constrained like I was with my grandma um, in another relationship. So I let her go, and then that led to years of pointless relationships and lots of drinking. Um, got my first OWI in twenty or 2008. I was hanging out with a friend. I was working the night shift. Um, we had started a men's league baseball team, so I'd worked all night, went home, got a couple hours sleep, got up, played baseball, and drank in the sun. Um, had you know not much sleep. And I was driving home that night, and I ended up rolling my car several times because um, I nodded off at the wheel. So that was OWI number one. Fast forward a few years, I met my uh, now ex-wife, but the mother of my children. Um, it was perfect. It was a match made in heaven in the beginning because she loved to drink, and I loved to drink, and her family loved to drink. And so I could drink whenever they were drinking, and it was no problem. And it was always a party on the weekend at our house. Or we were always up at the lake, um, the lake house, her parents' lake house, out on the pontoon. It was, it was perfect, um, and it was a pretty good relationship early on. But then I started to, you know, as I got older, you know, uh, her dad gave me a job at his company, and it was a good company for a while, and, and until it it shut down. But I hated it. I didn't I didn't like doing what I was doing. I the purpose wasn't there for me. It was I was going through the motions. I was working to get to the weekend so I could drink some more. And uh, so finally, um, we ended up getting pregnant and had two wonderful boys, uh, Gage and Easton. Uh, they're twins, and uh, they're 11 now. And all of a sudden, I had a little bit of purpose, but I couldn't stop the drinking. You know, I was going to take care of my kids. I was going to go to work every day. I was going to make it work because I'm not going to be like my mom and let my kids down. Well, so I should say I couldn't drink enough to overcome the, the, the void that was in my heart of not being happy at home. Um, the relationship wasn't the greatest and it was, I'm not placing blame on my ex-wife. I'm, I'm putting equal blame, uh, if not more on myself. Um, but I, I wasn't happy in that. I wasn't happy in work. I wasn't happy in life. And, you know, there was a lot of arguing going on. And one day in particular, she called me in the morning and there, it was a big argument. Uh, I just started a new job because her dad's company who I'd worked for for a long time um, fell in some hard times and, and had to shut down. So I just started a new job. We had this argument. Um, this guy that was training me heard the argument. I was embarrassed and pissed off. So I left. 
and I started drinking and ended up with OWI number two. Ended up calling my ex-wife from jail. Um, they came and bailed me out, and but that led to the divorce. Now, because of the relationship and what it was, and I and I hope she understands if she ever listens to this. When I say what I'm about to say, it's it's not a dig on her. I I can't say enough good things about my ex-wife. Uh, I'll say her first name, I guess, Stephanie. I can't say enough things about her while, while I was deep in addiction after the divorce. Uh, you know, things went from bad to worse. Then they got a little bit better, and then they got really, really bad. Um, she's been raising the boys by herself for at least two years. There was a span of two years where it was almost 100% her. Um, and she did a great job. They're, they're two wonderful young men. They were just over here again this weekend. And I can't say enough good things about the job she's done as a mother. Is anybody perfect? No. But um, when you have to do it on your own and me being the person that didn't want to be like my mother um, and not be around my kids, you know, I, I, I owe her everything for continuing to do such a great job in my absence. Um, but anyway, the relationship was not going well. There's no, I, I don't believe that she could make the argument that we were happy. There was a lot of fighting every single day. Um, and it was because of my actions. You know, I was always hungover, lazy. I didn't want to do anything because I didn't, I was honestly to a point, the only thing I cared about were my kids. And you can't survive on just that. Um, some people make it through, but you're not really living. And so we got the divorce. Uh, I was on probation. Uh, we were splitting the kids. Um, you know, I had my visitations. It was great. I wasn't drinking on probation. Things were turning around. Work was getting better. Had real good relationship with my kids, and then all of a sudden I got off probation, and the wheels fell off again. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so, back on probation, I ended up meeting another woman, and that woman is Miley. And you know, when I look back at the relationship that I spoke of first, the first woman that I want to marry, like all the qualities in that relationship plus a bunch is what I found in a relationship with Miley. Um, it was all really, really good. And it still is. Um, I got off probation though, and I convinced Miley that it wasn't, my drinking wasn't a problem. Um, I was able to fake it for a while around here, you know, uh, drinking with her family here and there, drinking with her here and there. Um, but I was always drinking way more than what she knew. And finally I got to a point in 2020, um, I had to go into my first treatment. And I can't remember if I went to that treatment. I think I went to that treatment before I got my third OWI. So everybody was super upset with the way things were going. And I don't mean upset in like a bad, like they were being dicks about it. They were upset because they cared. Her family, you know, my friends, you know, there's a little intervention here at the house. And so, and I remember the day that her son gave me a big hug and, and he had tears in his eyes and he was crying. He's like, Scott, you got to go. And so off I went to treatment and I was in treatment for 30 days. It was the worst treatment. Now, knowing what I know now, it was a terrible treatment, but it was still 30 days of not drinking and to gather myself. I came home feeling like a million damn dollars. I lost a bunch of weight from all the bloating that went away from the alcohol consumption. Um, and then the wheels fell off again, ultimately. I was doing AA, I, I had a sponsor, and I just couldn't quit. Ended up passed out at a stop sign here in town. Um, it was during COVID, 
in 2020. So nobody, the cops didn't give me a ticket. They didn't take my license. They didn't take my license plate. They impounded my vehicle. They didn't take me to jail. I had nothing other than to go get my vehicle out of impound and heard nothing else. I counted my blessings that I didn't get my third OWI um, because I thought COVID saved me. Well, turns out I continued drinking and driving around um, until the point Miley had to say enough is enough. I can't sit here and worry about you every single day. I can't go to work and wonder what you're doing. You know, you can't keep a job. You know, you're going to kill yourself and I can't sit here and wait for it. And she did the right thing and, and, and asked me, she set the boundaries and asked me to leave. So I moved back into my grandmother. Um, about a year and a half after that passed out at the uh, stop sign incident, the cop showed up at my grandma's house with a warrant for my arrest for an OWI. So a year and a half later, after I've been driving and drinking and driving all over the place for a year and a half, they finally decided they gave a shit and they came looking for me. So off to jail I go. Uh, my dad, who I've had a relationship with on and off, um, he was more like an acquaintance or a buddy. Um, I was able to get a hold of him, and he bailed me out of jail. And um, I ended up going back into treatment, my second treatment, in January of 2022. And he took me there. I believe he took me there, or he picked me up one of the two. Anyway, it doesn't matter. My dad has now been a little more a part of my life. Um, it, it's an awkward relationship because, you know, I'm 42, and he's 18 years older than that, 60, whatever that is. Um, but I appreciate him and what he's been willing to do. He, he did a good job. My dad did a good job of raising his kids that he had with another woman. Um, they've all turned out to be pretty good kids. Uh, one has passed away in a car accident, but he was a really good father and a good person. So my dad did, did well. I, the reason why I don't have a relationship or didn't have one growing up is because of my mother and the stories she would tell. And my grandma believed them, so she didn't want me hanging out with them either. So it's kind of an odd thing, you know, um, where it's, it's not my grandma's fault because she was believing her granddaughter, right? The one she raised. So anyway, um, so my dad bailed me out. I went in my second treatment in January of 2022. I was there for 60 days. And I remember the last few days I had some money in my pocket that my grandma had sent me to get pop and, and things like that because you could buy pop there. And I spent all of it because the sharks were swimming. I was like, oh, I can get out of here. You know, I've, I've figured it out. I can... I can get out of here and use this knowledge to drink like a normal person. And if you're an AA, then you're hearing the words that just came out of my mouth. <laughs> and, you know, the disaster is coming. So I got out of there um, in March, early March. And from March to April was the worst month of drinking and happenings um, outside of getting more trouble with, with law enforcement. So that law enforcement, that didn't happen. Um, Maybe, maybe that would have been more helpful. I don't know. But um, actually, that's in March is when they came and picked me up. But in between there, um, I woke up in the hospital in those 30 days of 31 days of March. I woke up in the hospital at least four times. One, I woke up with a catheter because I was pissing myself. Another time I woke up strapped to the bed with a tube down my throat. Um, and the other times I just kind of woke up in the ER feeling like shit and 
one of those occasions, I'd been passed out on the floor upstairs, and my 98-year-old grandmother had to come up and find me because she couldn't, didn't hear from me for a while. Um, by the time she found me, the EMTs got there and got me to the hospital, and they drew my blood and tested it. My blood alcohol content, one of those times, is 0.46, which is basically almost half your blood is alcohol. And so how I'm alive, I mean, I dodged so many bullets, man. I fell down the stairs a couple times. Um, there was a time, one of those times I had to go to the hospital because my kidneys were shutting down. My potassium levels had dropped, which turns out when those two things happen, you can't walk. There's no balance. I didn't know that. So now I have this court case coming. Um, I keep ending up in the hospital. I'm going to online AA meetings. I had a sponsor at the time. Him and a couple of the girls that were, it was a real small group, just a few of us, and they'd convinced me to go back to treatment. So 30 days, basically, after I left Harbor Hall from January to um, the beginning of March, uh, around 30 days later, I was back in Harbor Hall in April. This time, um, I ended up staying there with sober living and everything. It was probably 180 some days. And... I really started to focus in on things. I got a job. This place is two hours from my home. My sponsor was telling me, you know, you just, you probably need to stay up there. You know, you need to get away from that place. You know, you need to get away from the place where you drink all the time, your grandma's and get away from Miley and, and, you know, just be away from that and start fresh. And it seemed like pretty good advice. Um, so I was starting to get to talk to my kids on the phone a little bit. They were starting to warm up a little bit to me. I was working at a treatment center um, as a tech after just, you know, four to six months of sobriety, whatever it was. And um, I, I believe I mentioned I was living in sober living after I got out of treatment, which was on the same, you know, uh, block as, as the treatment center. Well, my time ran out there and all of a sudden, um, you know, the, the two leads I had on an apartment up there, they fell through. So I found myself in my truck. I had nowhere to go but to sleep in my truck. So that night I went to the casino. I bought a couple half pints after I got out of work. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this. Nobody's going to know. I'm going to go to the casino. I'm going to have some fun and this will be it. So I go into the casino. I spend a little bit of money. I come out. I sleep in the casino parking lot, which was probably pretty stupid, but I slept in the back of my truck with all my belongings. Woke up the next morning, uh, went and got Wendy's and that little bit of alcohol was was the itch that I needed to continue scratching. Um, the alcohol I had left over from the night before, I consumed. Uh, I believe I went and bought more. And the long and short of it is I drank so much, I ended up going to a parking lot down by the waterfront and fell asleep in the driver's seat. That led to a wellness check somebody calling a wellness check, which led to the cops come in, which led to OWI number four. So now, now I'm in jail. Now I have OWI number four. I still haven't been sentenced for OWI number three yet. They came and arrested me, but they hadn't set a court date yet. Um, my boss at, that um, I was working for at the treatment center where I was a tech, he came and bailed me out. Um, I went to the treatment center uh, that I worked <laughs> So all of a sudden, you know, you're a tech and you're overseeing these guys and you're helping them out. They're coming to you for questions and uh, all of a sudden you're one of them. 
and I remember it was kind of funny now. There was a, two different occasions where somebody came up and said, hey, Scott, can you get me this or that? And I'm like, no, man, I can't. I'm, I'm in here with you now. Like, what? And I told my story. And one thing that I learned from Harbor Hall, the word authentic was used in abundance there. And to be open and honest and authentic, that really stuck with me. And I don't care who knows what happened to me as far as my drinking and, you know, the personal life stuff, you know, that's not a people's business. But when it comes to my drinking escapades and how I felt and what I did, I I don't care who knows. So, I mean, I, when these guys asked me for help, you know, because they thought I was still a tech, I just told them what was going on. I didn't need to hide anything. There's no reason to hide anything anymore. Um, so, so I go through 30 days of treatment there. And I should rewind a little bit, actually, because I missed a very important part. It came to my understanding after I got out, after, after I got out of treatment, I moved into sober living. At some point in there, it came to my attention that my sponsor had lied to me. The one that had told me that I should stay up there and stay away from Miley and, and everything down two hours away down south in Michigan. Now, he had told me that Miley, he'd read me this text message that Miley had sent him, me and him because she was very involved in, in my recovery. And so she thought by sending the text to me and to him, it would be, you know, there'd be no confusion in what she was trying to come across and saying. And so he read me this text message the day before I went into sober living. And it crushed me. Because she said that she had heard that I was offering sexual favors to women for alcohol, which I didn't remember. Which I will say, and I always say, I wouldn't put it out of the realm because I was a raging alcoholic. And my 98-year-old grandmother was stealing my truck keys and my money, so I couldn't go buy more booze. So I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I did that. And I'm like, when I got out of treatment, I had my phone. I'm, I'm searching frantically through the messages. Like, all right, so who did I make these offers to? Because everybody that I know is two hours away, first of all. So who the hell would I, you know what I mean? Like, well, I guess that didn't matter because I was doing that before I left. So anyway, I kept racking my brain on who it was, who could it be? And I couldn't find any evidence of it. So <clears throat> when Miley was, you know, talking to me again and she kind of shared this and I was like, I don't remember that. And I'm like, I'm going to have to talk to my sponsor about this. I'm going to have to talk to Kirk about this. When I brought it up to him, I never talked to him again. There was one text that he replied after dozens of texts from me. There was one text he replied, yeah, we'll have to get together soon. I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to you, brother. And that was it. And with the iPhones and with instant messaging, you can see when they read your messages. And he read all of them, and he just quit responding. Because I said who did I say this to? What, I need to know what's going on. And then the longer it went with him not responding, the more pissed off I got thinking, because all I'm left to do now is to think that he was trying to play, as you say in AA, to play God. He thought Miley and I's relationship was bad for me, so he wanted us to be separate. He wanted me to stay away. Meanwhile, I'm two hours away and a part of my problem now is that I'm two and a half, 
it would be two and a half hours away from my children. I'm two hours away from the woman that I love with all my heart. Despite my alcoholism, that doesn't matter. I love her. I'm two hours away from my great grandmother who's 98. And I'm trying to listen to what my sponsor is telling me. And Pug, I'm, a, I'm away from Pug. I'm away from my buddy, Chris. I'm away from everybody, you know, all my friends. And so that part is eating away at me. And I'm faking it till I make it. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what's going to save me. This is what's working. And that all, that all, <laughs> you're good, buddy. I missed you. I'm glad to be back and be able to, uh, I'm talking to my buddy Pug, who's commenting right now. Um, you know, I, I missed all my friends and I missed everybody. And I was trying to fake it till I make it up there. And I didn't realize until later on that those things were really eating at me. And I think that's what led to me drinking again. You know, nothing was, I was sober, but I didn't have the things that I needed to have in my life. And I was so far away. And, you know, so I think that's what led to, to me going back to drinking and, and what ultimately led to that fourth OWI. So <clears throat> long story short, I get charged with the fourth OWI. I do my jail time all before I get sentenced for the third one that ended up being two and a half years prior. So by the time I got sentenced for my third one, two and a half years had passed. All of which, had I not got the fourth one, I could have been driving the entire time, which makes no sense and it irritates the shit out of me because if if taking the license is such an important thing, um, why didn't that happen? You know what I'm saying? But anyway, I don't want to sidetrack the story here. So I completed 30 days at the place that I used to work, and I made the decision, I'm going home. And I got a tether on my ankle for the probation that I was doing. I went home. I was here for a month or two. I had to go back out for sentencing, spent a month in jail up there, came back home again. I dove into recovery my own way. It wasn't through AA anymore. It wasn't through smart recovery. It was a little bit of all of those things. And I mean a little bit. And it was just talking with people and doing this podcast. I found my purpose. My purpose was to share my story. And that's not ego. That's just, it makes me feel good. I was feeling a certain way this morning. And I said, what can I do a podcast about? And I said, fuck it. I'm going to tell my story again. And now I feel better. Now I feel a little more awake. I feel a little more energized just to be able to talk recovery. Um, and I got a couple friends commenting in here, you know, RJ and Pug um, that are listening. It means the world to me. kids want to be around me again. I'm living here with Miley. I have great friends. I'm truly blessed. And, um, you know, it was a combination of things. It's a combination of really good people in a treatment center. It was a combination of AA, Smart Recovery, uh, Pure 360, which is a group around here. But it was mostly from the power that came from within when I realized that I'm not a piece of shit just because I've struggled with this stuff for so long. 
I'm not a piece of shit because I didn't have the education in life that I needed because my grandma chose to raise me a certain way. And that certain way was the best that she could fucking do. I thought when baseball was gone, I thought I had lost all purpose because that was legitimately my outlet. That was what I did. And then I ended up coaching for 13 years too in between there. And I had to quit coaching when I became a father. And that was part of the strain on our, my marriage. She didn't think that we could make it work with me coaching. And that was such a big part of my life. And that's a big part of my story that I should have shared giving up that coaching that I had done for 13 years. And I actually thought I was better at coaching than I was at playing. And I was pretty damn good at playing to get the sport. Um, I had to give that up and I lost myself completely lost myself completely after that to alcohol. I was a, I would consider myself a heavy drinker before that decision was made. And I'm not blaming my ex-wife for making me quit. The kids come first. Um, but giving up that sport completely left me empty inside. And that's because that, that was my identity. But now <clears throat> hearing these, you know, hearing these, I mean, just the comments right now, you know, uh, Brian says, you're helping me too. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, and my buddy Pug listening to every damn podcast I put out there. It means the world to me. So that void is, is full of other things. Uh, friendship, love, family. And that's that's what I need. That's all I need. <laughs> Crying over the happy parts today, not the sad parts of the story. So anyway, that's the gist of my story. If you listen to this and you have any questions or, or I skip something that you think that you'd like to ask about, feel, please feel free in the comments on Facebook, YouTube, uh, X, wherever you might be listening. I would love to answer them, but that's, uh, that's my story in a nutshell. It was as abbreviated as I could get and I tend to jump all over the place, but I think 35 minutes is pretty good to try to get it out there. So thanks, Brian, Pug, RJ. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, means a lot to be able to share things with you guys and to have people listen. Um, <clears throat> I have another podcast scheduled this Saturday. Um, another great, it'll be another great interview. Um, still got a bunch of openings. RJ, if you, uh, if you get ready, man, and you're willing to tell it uh, on a platform like this, the door will be open forever and always to you, my friend. So also uh, hang in there. Uh, Pug and I are going to be starting something here at some point. So it should be a lot of fun. It should be an upbeat, um, upbeat podcast talking about sports, sports and entertainment, uh, collectibles, uh, and all kinds of fun stuff. So, again, thank you so much for listening. Um, you guys have helped me out this morning. So have a, yourself a great Monday if you can, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys.